Thank you for joining us on Fiction on the Mind. Uh, my name is Tyler Gabbard, and with me today is Dr. Rich Schweikert. Dr. Schweikert, thank you for joining me today. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. So tell me about your research. I know you do a lot of work with dreams, right? Uh-huh. Uh, yes, I'm uh, interested in uh, human memory, which might at first seem not that related to dreams. Uh, and typically, when someone dreams, they aren't reliving or reenacting something that happened in the past. But the characters in the dreams and the settings and so on all are drawn from memory, or most of them are drawn from memory. So it seems that by taking a close look at dreams, one gets a window into human memory. I notice you use the word characters mm-hmm. in dreams, not people. Oh, yes. Um, there are, of course, uh, people in dreams, and many are our family and friends, but then there are a variety of, um, of what I'll call characters. Uh, they are, for instance, uh, objects that talk or uh, uh, animals that talk, uh, things that have human characteristics. Um, in one dream, a, a woman was sitting by the side of a pond and a minnow who was her husband, was in the pool. So the minnow is a kind of character because of having some human-like attribute. Mm-hmm. So if dreams can give us a glimpse into people's memory because of the characters, because of references, would you say that dreams are fictional? Oh, I think definitely. Um, they're... Uh, to some extent uh, made up as they go along, it seems. Some would say that the one has been working on a plot all day long with various things that happen that uh, get worked into a plot. That's possible, but I think it's more likely that they're improvised like a jazz musician might improvise. It's based on m- melodies or things that the person has in memory, but the particular manifestation at the time is quite uh, novel. Mm-hmm. Interesting. On this podcast, we haven't had a Theory of Mind episode yet, mm. but we've kind of talked a little bit about it with our Empathy and Affect episode about mm-hmm. fear and fiction, as mm-hmm. well as with our perspective-taking episode with Dr. William. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can loosely say that someone is using their Theory of Mind when they attribute perceptions, thoughts, and feelings to another person or another character. Mm -hmm. So in dreams, if this woman is dreaming that her husband is this minnow, or that this minnow is her Mm -hmm. husband, um, is she able to sort of attribute mental uh, states Mm -hmm. to this minnow husband? I see. And in this particular dream, um, the the, the woman didn't. She just passed Mm -hmm. over that uh, fact. But um, it is uh, the case that uh, during dreaming, people are, the dreamer is uh, pretty well able to um, make attributions. They may not be very realistic, um, although sometimes they are, but the parts of the brain that are uh, active when one is engaged in theory of mind activities when awake seem to be active during rapid eye movement sleep. And um, let's see how to put it, they're functioning and approximately normally with occasional strange uh, attributions Mm -hmm. to other people. 
And that has really interesting implications because we we always talk about theory of mind when we're awake. We see somebody and we assume something about what they're thinking or feeling or what they believe, um, and that's in our day-to-day lives. Uh-huh. But we, we very rarely think about this this faculty going on mm-hmm. while we are unconscious, while we're dreaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it's true. There's um, quite a few things that uh, we do in dreams that we um, don't uh, aren't thinking or realizing that we're doing. Uh, some people say that if there is a function to dreaming, maybe one of its functions is to help us simulate uh, reality, to practice doing things mm-hmm. that we wouldn't have a chance to practice very much when we're awake. Uh, one good example, not related to theory of mind, but is uh, Rebuenso's uh, theory that uh, in dreams we practice um, doing things that are essential for our sur- were essential for our survival, escaping mm-hmm. from ferocious animals right. and so on. So some people say we set up social situations in order to practice um, uh, adroit social behaviors, mm-hmm. and in that. If we were going to be any good at that, we would uh, need to have our theory of mind functioning at least partly. Otherwise, we'd be kind of, well, I'll use the word blind, maybe not the best term. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so to, to be able to function well with simulated social situations, our theory of mind needs to be working fairly well. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, too, because Dr. Clotilde Lande and I spoke about the same subject in our previous episode on fear in fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are similar theories that we, we the, con- the reason we continue to read or to watch films that frighten us, mm-hmm. even though all of our entire body is saying, run away, <laughs> close the book and throw it across mm-hmm. the room, turn mm-hmm. off the film, mm-hmm. leave the danger... For mm-hmm. some reason, we keep turning the page, mm-hmm. and we keep watching the film, and then we go and see the sequel, and then mm-hmm. the, the next movie, and the next movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a theory of that is that there's a part of our brain that enjoys these sort of s- social simulations mm-hmm. that would otherwise be dangerous in real life, because it kind of gives us this, this sort of training ground, mm-hmm. a sort of way of practicing these survival skills. What, what, how would our body react in this situation? So if dreams are fiction and mm-hmm. we're talking about films and books that are fiction, mm-hmm. um, this is all kind of the same thing that we're talking about, these sort of simulations of social minds, the simulations of social events, of, of different stimuli and how we would react mentally or physically mm-hmm. in, in these types of situations. Uh, yes, I think that's uh, true. Whether that is um, a function of dreams that you might say that dreams uh, evolved to do, or uh, whether it's a byproduct. Uh, sometimes uh, the term spandrel is used for in, uh, uh, talking about evolution. Um, the uh, spandrel as a uh, piece of architectural space that is there due to the structural. Uh, needs of the building, mm-hmm. but it leaves some extra space where an artist can draw an angel, let's mm-hmm. say. So it, uh, the spandrel isn't put there for the purpose of a picture of an angel, but once it's there for some other reason, it leaves room mm-hmm. for the picture of the angel. So it's possible that the um, uh, dreams didn't evolve so that we could practice our theory of mind, but it so happens uh, we can. Mm-hmm. It leads to, or could lead to, I think, a better understanding of other people if we uh, see that often in our dreams we are engaged in 
behaviors or thoughts that we, uh, when we were awake, would be ashamed of or wouldn't tolerate in ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, but in uh, dreaming, we do engage in these sometimes for a, a little bit of time. And it, um, well, in some sense, might help us be a little more tolerant or understanding of other people if we saw that actually we do those same things in our own dreams. Um, so I know you... You co-authored a piece with Zhuang Zhuangxi titled Theory of Mind and Metamorphoses in Dreams, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and the Metamorphosis. So how, what does this have to do with these two works? Oh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> just in general. <laughs> I, um, I think um, when one looks at the characters who appear in dreams, um, if you start just paying attention to them as we were doing to mm. code that is literally just make a list of the characters who appear in dreams one soon finds that in some dreamers uh, there are metamorphoses of one character just changes into another mm -hmm. sometimes the dreamer sometimes some other character uh, so immediately there's the question well what to do with these do you list them under their separate names or uh, or not uh, and this has been already thought about. Um, uh, there's a coding scheme by Hall and Van de Kessel for coding the characters and, and they simply say if there is a metamorphosis code each of the characters separately. So okay, mm -hmm. but you know, one has to somehow uh, deal with this. And then a question that comes to mind is if there is a change from one character to another um, well, that provides an opportunity for the dreamer to have an experience of a, from a different point of view. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe the dream provides the, an opportunity for that. Uh, what we found in our study is seemingly not. That is, um, there isn't a lot of attention that the dreamer... Um, let's see how to put it. It doesn't catch the dreamer's attention mm -hmm. that someone or the dreamer... Uh, himself or herself has changed, mm -hmm. uh, the, the people just continue on as they were mm -hmm. before. So uh, whatever function of dreaming might be, it doesn't seem to be providing us a, an opportunity for a different perspective. Mm -hmm. that's, that's something really interesting about dreams too, because obviously the laws of nature in mm -hmm. the dream world, whatever's happening in our dreams, mm -hmm. are often totally accepted from the get-go. We, we, mm -hmm. we tend to not, at least from my personal experience, mm -hmm. we tend to not question the nature of our reality when we're dreaming, just mm -hmm. as we don't question the nature of our reality mm -hmm. when we're not dreaming. Mm -hmm. So right now we're sitting in a room, and I'm not questioning the fact that gravity is keeping us in our seats right now. Mm -hmm. um, if we were in a dream, we might be floating, we might be on the ceiling, and we just mm -hmm. wouldn't question that fact. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is something very odd about dreaming, how... Uh, how this can happen, where we, in the dream world, often if one's in a room, the walls are perpendicular and uh, floors are horizontal, and uh, yet um, we might, uh, well, walk through a wall or, or, and not really be faced by that. Uh, or be married to a fish. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. Uh, so uh, Sigmund Freud in uh, 
I, I quote someone else who I don't remember, but that person said that no one ever got interested in metaphysics because of reality. People mm -hmm. get interested in metaphysics because of dreams, and mm -hmm. I think that's true. I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, if we, if we just take it for granted that mm -hmm. uh, everything is that we see is what is there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very puzzling um, to me. It, it's puzzling that one can uh, sometimes remember accurate autobiographical information, uh, for instance, that, uh, that I used to live in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, and other times, um, I, in a dream, I'll be a woman, and I don't even notice that that doesn't right. match. So how is it that we can um, block off whole sections of our uh, memory? Mm -hmm. I think it helps understand, though, um, one can see that the, even ordinary people are quite capable of these dissociations, that is, um, closing off a part of our knowledge about ourselves in the world, closing off access to that. I don't mean that we experience it as trying to peer in through a clouded window. It's just as though there's nothing there. You're not even aware mm -hmm. that the information is there. Um, so some of the peculiar states of some individuals in waking life... Um, like a fugue where someone can be walking in a city and they don't know how they got there. They don't even know what their name is. Right. That we all are seem seemingly capable of this, mm -hmm. uh, but we don't, doesn't happen to us ordinarily. Mm. There is a, a, a well-established uh, strong inhibition that happens during rapid eye movement sleep. Not so much of uh, portions of the memory, but simply a blockade of your motor system. So oh, yeah. uh, while you're asleep and dreaming, the brain is active, and even parts mm -hmm. of the brain that control motor movements are busy and active. But um, there's a very strong inhibition that comes down from the brain stem and stops those motor signals from getting out of the uh, brain stem and into the body. Mm -hmm. So you might dream that you're running and parts of the brain that control your feet are busy, but the signals don't reach your legs. Mm -hmm. Well, which is good. <laughs> which is good, exactly, yes. Don't get up and start running. In the no, night. that's right. Uh, so if that can happen for the motor system, then it seems clear, mm -hmm. but it's harder to, in fact, it's not possible right now, mm -hmm. but it's not implausible that there could be strong inhibitions sent to block parts of your, mm -hmm. uh, even your own autobiographical memory, uh, just as your motor movements are blocked. Tying it back to, to these authors, okay. Um, in this in this piece you co-authored, you, you mentioned that um, both of these authors had dreamed about their characters a little bit, about mm. scenes, about characters, uh -huh. and they kind of brought them into the real world. Mm. But there are important differences between these two works. Mm. One of them being that um, in Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis, um, Gregor, we have access to Gregor's thoughts the mm -hmm. entire time. That is in stark contrast to Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, Mr. Hyde, mm -hmm. because we, we generally don't have access to Hyde's thoughts mm -hmm. or Jekyll's. That's correct. Mm -hmm. at, at really, at any point until, until the end, mm -hmm. almost. Yes. Um, because a very important thing that you mentioned here was we all know this, this Jekyll and Hyde situation, this metamorphosis, is in, it's part of common, it's part of the lingua franca of 
2018. We we all know we're talking about the same person with multiple personalities, mm-hmm. with this metamorphosis, with this kind of thing. Um, but in the original story, it's a total surprise. Mm-hmm. It's the first time someone is is, is getting to meet Doctor Jekyll, has no idea. It's it's not super obvious that Doctor mm-hmm. Jekyll has transformed into Mister Hyde mm-hmm. until the very end. Mm-hmm. But what they have in common is that these characters don't realize they've been metamorphosed based on their own thoughts. Hmm. But it's not until they see their own body when they start realizing, I'm different. Mm-hmm. Which I think is very interesting. Um, why do you think the characters are unable to shift their own mental thought or be aware of their, uh-huh. their shift in thoughts? Well, that's a good question. And uh, I, on the one hand, it is, I think, a fairly accurate... Uh, extrapolation from what happens in dreams where Mm -hmm. someone um, can be uh, um, transformed into a uh, uh, an animal and uh, not thinking anything of it any more than if in a dream uh, as you pointed out you could be flying and you don't think there's anything odd Mm -hmm. Um, it makes me uh, wonder of course whether in um, uh, in the lives of uh, people who do have a disorder where they uh, mm-hmm. do have, let's say, multiple personalities and so on, uh, uh, is it similar for them, too, that, of course, after a while, a person will know, perhaps because other people tell them, you mm-hmm. know, this doesn't seem to be right. the person that I saw last night, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, perhaps for the people themselves, if it weren't that other people were telling them, they wouldn't notice just mm-hmm. how different, differently they were behaving. Mm-hmm. But I'm just guessing here. Right, I don't right. know. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, and I think from a writer's perspective as well, mm-hmm. from the point of view of, of these authors, mm-hmm. um, it makes me think of Thomas Nagel's What Is It Like to Be a Bat? Mm-hmm. In which Nagel describes um, anytime someone puts a phenomenon into words, mm-hmm. it's automatically limited because you can't express exactly what it is like to be a bat. What you can do is imagine what it's like for you to be a bat. So I can imagine myself flying around and catching bugs and and locating the world with echolocation. Um, But I cannot describe what it is like to have wings, because I don't have wings. Mm -hmm. So I rely on my imagination to do that. And the same thing seems to be happening with some of these characters, where the mind of, of Gregor already exists and so Gregor what what would be the mind of a vermin what would be the mind of an insect so it's kind of blending the mind of, of a human Gregor in a, the body of of an insect at this point mm-hmm. similarly it's blending the mind of Dr. Jekyll into the body of this pure evil Mr. Hyde somehow so we it's kind of difficult to realize this full shift of mind because what it's doing is actually blending both the mind of the original character and the body of the of the metamorphized mm-hmm. character, or I don't. True, know. yeah. That uh, I often dreams do make composites of things, mm-hmm. uh, not just the way you've described, which is a body of one individual and the mind of another, uh, but uh, often a scene will be like one might feel. The dreamer might feel that he's standing in his kitchen, mm-hmm. um, but in fact, the uh, window over the sink, he doesn't have a window over the sink in his kitchen, but mm-hmm. another k- kitchen somewhere else does have a window over the sink. Mm-hmm. So the dreamer has blended together 
two different uh, things, but somehow made a, a coherent whole out of them. Mm -hmm. And um, it seems that what you've just described is uh, along those lines, taking a mental state of one individual and combining it with a mm -hmm. bodily form of some other individual and then proceeding as though everything is all tidied up when it's not. I think this idea of blending, it does seem uh, very, uh, what would we say, germane to dreams because uh, ingredients from various uh, aspects of life are mm -hmm. assembled somehow mm -hmm. uh, for uh, who knows what reason. And it's curious that they um, they do fit together, not always um, in a story that seems to make sense when one wakes up, but they mm -hmm. fit together well enough to pass uh, mm -hmm. in the dream. Like the at the beginning you mentioned the woman who, who dreamt that the minnow was her husband. Uh -huh. That's that's a great example of a blend because mm -hmm. she's, she's by a pond, mm -hmm. um, a pool of water, uh -huh. and there's a fish. Mm -hmm. And the fish is a fish because mm -hmm. that's why it's in the water. Yeah, but it's sure. also her husband, which mm -hmm. is why... It's her husband. She just yes. accepts this information. Uh -huh. um, so it's it's this blend of of this of one space, which is the fish space, and then her husband, mm -hmm. which is a totally different space. Um, and only in this this blended dream space mm -hmm. does she have a fish husband, mm -hmm. because in real life she's obviously, hopefully, not married to a fish. <laughs> well, I think one um, thing that the way uh, in, in dreams we uh, are unfazed by things uh, leads to these kind of eerie effects in um, in Kafka's writing. I think perhaps uh, his both the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and the story of the metamorphosis have their, their eerie aspects, uh, but um, Kafka is especially eerie because the uh, Gregor seems to be thinking through what's going on, much as uh, the reader would think about what's going on, mm -hmm. but he doesn't seem able to, um, well, how to put it, to get the point. I mean, he <laughs> seems to still uh, be upset that he's got to get the train or he doesn't want to be late for work and mm -hmm. uh, things that to, you might think he would, would catch on. Well, in dreams, too, then... Um, something very strange can be happening, but the dreamer is simply mm -hmm. uh, observing it in a natural way, uh, in a nonchalant way is what mm -hmm. I, I should say. Um, so by keeping up that um, slightly detached uh, attitude throughout the whole story, um, Kafka is able to um, maintain a kind of, uh, well, sometimes it's irony and sometimes mm -hmm. it's just plain uh, uh, eeriness. Right. I think sometimes uh, I've mentioned that if we noticed in our dreams how we're capable of things, it might make us more, I don't know if tolerance is the right word, but but often if there's some criminal who has done some totally reprehensible act and um, people watching say uh, he didn't even seem to care, mm -hmm. and we all think, oh, that makes it twice as awful. Mm -hmm. But actually sometimes in our dreams we do horrible things and we're, nonchalant about it. So mm -hmm. it shows that an ordinary person is capable of this uh, dissociation. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that it's uh, healthy or a good thing, right. but it just means it's in our repertoire. Right. 
it's in our it's in our cognitive faculties somewhere mm-hmm. to be able yeah. to do that. Just mm-hmm. like it is um, to be able to totally block out parts of our lives altogether, mm-hmm. entering a fugue state or mm-hmm. simply dreaming that your husband is a fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, Dr. Schweiker, thank you so mm-hmm. much for joining us today on Fiction on the Mind. It was a pleasure having you here as a guest. Well, I was happy to be here. I enjoyed our conversation. So if anybody would like to know more about theory of mind, literature, dreams, metamorphosis, I recommend checking out the bibliography in the show notes of this episode, which are also available on my website, rtylergabbard.com. Thank you.